leave a comment with your five-star rating. That's how you're going to start this? Well, with the Anything But Quiet Time podcast, I, I will be honest, some of our favorite podcasts have been when people have left a comment or a question. Sure, sure. And sometimes even a little bit of a controversial question to something that we've talked about before. Yeah. yeah. And it was such a blessing because you, you're able to now fellowship with others and say, all right, yeah, iron does sharpen iron. So please feel free to leave a comment after you post the five-star rating. You, that, so you have, that's the mandatory thing? You no, have to do that? it's not mandatory. Oh. I'm just, I was trying to slip it in there like subliminal messaging. You did it like full <laughs> volume, just a little more but monotone. But like lower. Yeah. After your five-star rating. After your five-star rating. Anyways, um, <laughs> no, I thought it was an interesting dialogue last summer when we talked about the Roe v. Wade stuff and what does oh, the Bible yeah. say with pro-life, pro-choice. And we had somebody that, that uh, uh, you know, believer, but uh, feels differently on certain parts of the issue. And uh, I think we had a good discussion on it. So we, even yeah. if it's like, we don't have to agree on everything. One of my favorite yeah. parts though about her, her question and comments where they were done in such good taste. Yeah, I mean, we can have a conversation even yes. if we disagree. I mean, I, I think that's even when you dis, when you have somebody that's not even a believer. Yeah. You know, I think there is an ultimate truth as we proclaim on this podcast, but that doesn't mean we can't have the conversation. We're supposed to have the conversation. Yeah, yeah. We were supposed to have a conversation in order for, I think last podcast we I said something like, um, in order for conversion to even be a thought, you have to have a conversation. That's obviously with non-believers, but even with one another, for us to grow... Uh, how how in the world can we grow if there isn't a bit of pruning involved? And sometimes that means you're humbling yourself or it means I'm humbling myself. I messed up. That that leads me to believe I, I wanted to tell you something. Nope. Three weeks ago. Nope. You really messed up. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, have you ever thought about the fact that getting broken up with is a lot like getting laid off from your job. Because breaking up is hard to do. It makes you feel not wanted. Yeah. It makes you have those similar feelings. Can I just say, I, I saw this on, uh, I, I don't know, Google or something the other day. It was an article. And they were talking about how, I never saw the show Sex in the City. Mm -hmm. Never watched it. But Carrie Bradshaw is a, a very famous character. And there was this, apparently a breakup episode that everybody talked about because the guy she was seeing broke up with her on a post-it note. Oh, oh wow. And so it was this big hubbub, that's something you should never do, that's a cowardly way out. And so this article I was reading suggested that Carrie had it easy. At least you had some closure. <laughs> There's a lot of ghosting nowadays, isn't there? People just, yeah, out of your life. You, you, maybe you were even laid off in a relationship at, at work or something and you weren't given a real reason why. Yeah, I actually had that. I didn't, it wasn't, um, it was like a, a contract job. So it wasn't a huge deal, but I had done, uh, I had been in business with this individual for, um, you know, a couple, couple years probably. Okay. And it was just like, hey, no longer needed. We're, we're going to do something else instead. Is there something I could have done? And that's what I, that's my yeah. question was. Nope, just go in a different direction. Oh. Well, I mean, who goes a different direction if <laughs> if something wasn't lacking? Yeah. You know, so it's 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 hard. I mean, at, at varying, you know, degrees of, of difficult, especially if it was your job that's all of your bread and butter, uh, or if it was a relationship where you, you thought this was going to be the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And I had a friend get laid off recently. And I had a conversation with him 
um, that uh, it was very eye-opening because it was one of those, I think when you are, like I'll give you an example. When, when I uh, had a breakup in college, um, I, the next conversation I had was with my roommate, my friend, and I just had this eye-opening experience of just like, I was doing this and, and she was doing that and it just isn't going to work because blah, blah, blah. And you just start to, it, it's, it's like you, it's like you just all of a sudden have all these feelings that are pushing thoughts, mm -hmm. right? And I think he's in that stage of after his job, he's thinking all these things and you have the ability to choose positivity or choose bitterness. Right. And he is choosing because he's a believer. So he is choosing to stay as positive as possible. Mm. And he, he said something to the effect of that um, he could, that friends could talk him into being bitter, but he is choosing relationships, the relationships he, he, relationships he made at work mm -hmm. over the bitterness. Yeah. So there's kind of two thoughts here. One is just his feelings can make him go bitter but even the people like outside of that workplace in his life can make him go, they, they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Those are evil people over there, you know, yeah. whatever. And so you really got to be guarded in this time where there's a lot of emotion and he is just staying as grounded as possible because his point is in five years, I don't want to look back and regret my actions. Yeah. I might, you know, look back and this be a hard time or even find out more and feel like that being laid off was unjustified or whatever, but he doesn't want to regret his actions. And he really reminds me of uh, in Romans, Romans uh, 12, it says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Yeah. Do, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. There's so many things I want to comment on. That yeah. last passage is is Paul, I think, maybe just expounding on what Jesus established with what we, we call the Beatitudes. And the last one is, um, blessed are, are you when men revile and persecute you and utter all evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice mm -hmm. and be glad. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Jesus just... Sometimes he must have flipped everything on its head mm. when he was talking to crowds of people because eye for an eye, what, whatever happened to that is probably what they're thinking. And my, my son the other day shared a quote that is, is pretty well known, but he had just heard it. He's just new to the planet, you know, 13 years old. 13, yeah, okay. Um, but he said, an eye for an eye and the world goes blind. Oh, yeah. You know, the, everybody goes blind. if You keep taking eyeballs. <laughs> so Sure. Um. I think it's so amazing. He, your friend didn't take the bait. Yeah. I've heard yeah. it said that offense is the enemy's bait. Mm. So you may have every reason in the world. That's not fair. But to dwell in that place, instead of flip-flopping your perspective and saying, I'm grateful for the friendships and the relationships that I made. I'm going to take that with me and recognize that no life is not fair. And also recognize that if God did not intervene in this situation, then maybe, just maybe, he knows what he's up to. Yeah, He's allowed yeah. it to touch my life for a purpose, this being laid off. And he's got something around the corner, Yeah, something better. 
And you may be in that very set of circumstances right now and thinking, well, it's been a long time since I got laid off and nothing's come around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where faith in the person that you believe in, Jesus Christ, kind of going back and looking at all the times that he has been with you, blessed you. It's kind of important for us to remember those things or even my mom journals things. So when she is going through a struggle, she can look back on those moments where God, I mean, God always is there. We, we say God showed up. Well, he didn't go anywhere. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we just, oh, I recognize his handiwork. That's basically what that means um, to me anyway. And it's important that we look back at those moments in our life. Not that we need to dwell in those either because God's got new moments on the horizon. It's just meant to be that boost, that encouragement. God still has you. We can trust him. When you talk about taking the bait, um, we are going over, we just started this in our small group at church. It's a book. It's uh, it's something to the effect, I wish you could remember the name of it. It's something to the effect of uh, being spiritually mature and emotionally healthy, something like that. And, um, and the quote is, you can't be spiritually mature if you're not emotionally mature. And I, uh, we had this conversation about like, I don't know if I totally agree with it. Um, I think it's certainly helpful to be in touch with what are my emotions, my responses? Mm-hmm. What does that say about who I am, where I came from? And, and then how do, it's a little bit like a personality test. Like, you know, if you're on the Enneagram and you're whatever number and you go, okay, well, here's where I'm more susceptible to, to faults, but it's not an excuse. I shouldn't be this way, you know, or, or I mean, I shouldn't be sinful with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is a level where you can be spiritually mature, but not all of your emotions are in check, hmm. where you don't take the bait. For example, we, we talk about all sorts of people that have all sorts of propensities and feelings. And, and what do you do with those feelings when they're, they're sinful feelings? You know, you, you feel lustful or you feel prideful. Um, I think there's a beautiful practicality in simply uh, choosing an action that's against it. Or I, I guess I should say not choosing the action that feeds it and supports mm, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that um, he's just going to feel this way. Mm-hmm. You're just going to feel hurt. You might even start to feel bitter but what did he do, my friend? Mm-hmm. He reached out to old coworkers and, yeah. and was getting dinner with them. He got stuff. intentional, didn't he? He got intentional, even though the feelings are still present. Yeah. He's actively choosing against them. And there, there's something beautiful in there. It doesn't mean he even shouldn't go to counseling necessarily and work on like work through the emotion. Yeah. It it just means you can choose spiritual maturity in spite of emotion. I may have shared this before on a podcast. So if you've binged these and it feels familiar, please bear with me, but um, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. And when I sat down with the counselor who really helped me understand what that meant, it was so profound. And I think it honestly, what he shared works for all of us. Cause in some ways you, it, people even joke about going, oh, I'm a bit OCD about this. And you, you love those jokes. <laughs> oh, they're hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's always, and it's, hilarious. you know what? It's always the youth pastor. 
It's always easy. Guys, I got ADD. I got OCD. He's telling the funny story up front. Yeah. And then I met my wife and she's super hot. Like <laughs> youth pastors always got to talk about how hot their wife is. Because <laughs> they're trying to relate. It's trying to be relevant. And us seventh graders, yeah. seventh grade boys are going, I don't know how to feel. Do I call yeah. your wife hot? Is that what you want me to do? Like, I don't know what to do. You're, you're, you're telling me to keep lustful thoughts yeah. in check. And you're calling your wife hot. And I did. I, she did catch my eye. Like she is a beautiful woman. And I didn't know she wasn't single. So, okay. All right. Uh, so there are parts of my brain that light up more than others. And there are so many jokes that could be shared after that. But we expect our chemistry in our mind to, let, let's say you have a random thought that passes through. Kind of a silly one. Like, oh my goodness. I hope I didn't get in a car accident today. Well, generally your brain will resolve and say, I'm not going to dwell on that. That's not going to be a thing. Uh, if it is, you know what? You can't scare me with heaven. And then you go on about your your merry day. Sometimes with OCD, and it depends on what triggers you. It depends on what you're most fearful about. You have a what if question pop up and you cannot lose that what if question. No matter how much you educate yourself about how it might not be possible. I mean, Rochelle, you don't even own a car. You're not leaving the house today. You have nowhere to go. You're not going to get a car accident. That's not good enough. You know, like, <laughs> a car might nope. come through the wall. So yeah. these what if questions get sent through your brain and I'm not going to use any medical jargon because honestly, in this moment, I don't have any to give you. I just, this is how it's explained to me. Usually that what if question is sent out. There are receptors in your brain that say it's not going to be a problem, bounce it back and it's done. With people who have the hardware that I do chemically, that what if question keeps kind of going back and forth like like Pong. It never gets answered. It never gets squashed. And so what does it do? Well, it grows if I keep dwelling on it. The Pong ball gets bigger and bigger and bigger, bouncing yeah. around yeah. in my head. And this therapist shared with me, a great guy, Christian guy. He said, Rochelle, it's like you're feeding the dragon, every time you ponder this what if question that is causing you such tremendous fear, you ponder it and you are trying your best to make it go away. And you may even find a few minutes in your day where that question you're released from and you're not thinking about, it. I feel better. But then it comes back again bigger because you keep feeding it. So here's what I want you to do. Your hardware is not wired correctly and you're gonna have to come up, come up with some tools that'll help you shift gears and just think about something else. Because logically, you know the answer. You're not leaving your house, you don't own a car. This is a terrible example because of course I leave the house and I own a car. But the example of fear, you know that it's probably illogical, the thing that you keep thinking over and over again. In fact, he worked with a patient who once thought, what if I put my brand new infant in the microwave? She just had this weird fleeting thought. She probably saw it in an article, an unfortunate situation where somebody had taken their child's life. What if I would do that? He's worked with people and he's literally had to say, do you want to do that? No. How in the world would you get to that place where you would? I don't know, but what if it happens? They can't turn it off. Mm -hmm. So when you keep thinking about it, it grows the monster. I think in the same way, when we have been offended, we are only feeding the unfairness of the situation when we continue to be bitter. And we are growing and gonna harvest nothing but bitterness. Sure. Yeah. So what do you do? You have to shift gears and 
do what this gentleman did. I'm going to choose relationships over bitterness. I'm going to choose to not dwell on how unfair this was. The betrayal that you experienced in marriage, the unfairness of being laid off when you put in 30 years of your life's work and now for what? You're gone from the company without so much as a whatever. There are so many justified reasons why you should be allowed to grieve. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But when you go from a grieving place into a place of bitterness, and then you just, that's all you're dishing out with people. I can't believe they did. They're going to start rolling their eyes around you. Where You have lost yourself. You're not you anymore. You've become, you become the beast that you fed. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's scary. You'll see some people just change yeah, and, um, and just be a negative person all of a sudden. And there is a, um, a part of this, the thing we're going through at church, uh, is, uh, a false self. So like one example is, uh, King Saul in, uh, in the, uh, well, the Samuel books and then, you know, other places, but he was the first King of, of Israel. And, uh, he just had a, I wish I had the specific uh, you know, reading of this, but it was a, a, a beautiful like analogy uh, that he had this false sense of self on who he was and it was his accomplishments or it was his, you know, uh, the people uh, gave him the power. So he had to honor the people. So that means he didn't obey God, mm-hmm. you know, and we do the same thing with our false sense of whatever it might be, our accomplishments, our job is what defines us, mm-hmm. is what gives us meaning. So all of a sudden, if that's ripped away. What am I anymore? Who am I? And and the bitterness of the people that took that away from me. Mm-hmm. And so it can really be scary. And I think that's why it's so important. And I say this as somebody that's, you know, I'm, I'm working and, and, uh, that specific situation hasn't happened to me. And, you know, when you're in a good place, it's easy to say it. Uh, but then as soon as it happens, the rubber has to meet the road and am I relying on it too much? And I think there's a part of it where you really won't know until it is taken from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but to know it in the moment and go, I am not what I do. I'm not what I look like. Mm-hmm. I'm not what I sound like. I, I am. I I have value because God created me and says that I do. And so anything I try to build myself up with is just giving me this false sense of self. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's important to identify so that maybe this is kind of preempts the the bitterness. Mm-hmm. And then I think no matter what, though, in hard times you're going to feel bad. Yeah. And I think it would be a lot like grief. I think it would be like, yeah. you're just going to feel, but you have to move on. And and it's important, like we said just a little bit ago too, that, that I think grieving and choosing to stay bitter, those are two different things. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, you may be going along, having a great day and something brings back a memory sure, sure. of that moment where you were grieving and you may have to work through that, you know, and ask the Lord to help you. And there's these beautiful passages in scripture that are meant to do that. First of all, Psalms is amazing because the Psalms just lay it all out there on the line, right? We've talked about that, that you get really happy ones and you get really, I feel like I've been beat up and thrown in the dirt ones. Right. right. Um, But then there's always the coming back to the Lord and trusting, but I would choose to trust, but I will praise, but I will. And I I think... um, the passage that talks about whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report, these are the things I'm to dwell on, not the unfair circumstances that you have found yourself in. 
And of course, this life, we are in a broken world. And so the circumstances around you on a daily basis are not going to be fair. Jesus did nothing wrong. And he died on the cross for our sins. Yeah, They put him on a cross. So it's, if the son of God was mutilated and murdered for me, and that's what they did to a man who did nothing but do good and heal people wherever he went and preach the kingdom of God. I mean, yeah. I can expect that life is not going to be fair for me either. That's true. That's true. No, it's hard, but it's it's an important lesson to uh, know in the moment, but also keep in keep it handy, keep it handy. Just just um, because we we don't know what's on our horizon, and um, I think it's important to stay grounded yeah. as much as we can in the meantime. Yeah, and grounded in what the yeah. wise man built his house on the rock. Yep, it's going back to the foundation every time. It's Jesus. Um, so. You said, what, 20 years ago it was very controversial? I still think Harry Potter is probably a little bit controversial. I'd be curious because it's like, I don't know, we get to, and I'm not even saying this is right or wrong. Um, I think Harry Potter's in a different category than this, but you get to a point where Greece is shown in schools. <laughs> and and I go back now and I'm like, oh, that's really filthy. Uh, but it just culturally got it more and more accepted even among the Christian community. And uh, I think Harry Potter is a bit that way. It <laughs> it started very controversial. Oh, very. And yes. I don't think it is much as much now. Now, anybody listening to this might have different convictions oh, on sure. it. That's I mean, that's that we we don't have to always agree on on what's okay to watch and what's not. Um, but this one, I, I think there's a bit of freedom to if you f don't feel a conviction. It's, I think yeah. it's fine. And if you do, then you shouldn't. Then you shouldn't. I, I think so. if you view most uh, stories through the lens of what is the narrative here? And is there anything that, you know, can be redeemed from the storyline? Is it something of value? Uh, I think we rob ourselves sometimes because we, we have a knee-jerk response. We hear the word witchcraft clearly in scripture. That's not okay, mm -hmm. you know? Um, however, uh, Tolkien... Uh, Christian author, C.S. Lewis, Christian author, they used wizards and magic. Yeah, yeah, that's true. In yeah. in their storylines as well. Um, I am not saying if you have been convicted and I'm not a Harry Potter fan, uh, look, uh, I get it completely. But there was a, a, a gentleman who decided he was going to go into the popular storylines or even movies of the time. And he has written a number of books called Finding the Jesus in. And one of them was Harry Potter. And um, if you're not a fan of Harry Potter, this is uh, a great time to tell you, this is starting our 18-part series on <laughs> Harry Potter and finding... No, I'm just kidding. No, kidding. I really do want... <laughs> the reason why I'm bringing this up at all, I think there was something of value in the exchange regarding the sorting hat. Now, let me just explain this very briefly, especially if you're not familiar. But uh, there are almost like fraternity sororities. There's different houses at this school where Harry Potter ends up. And there's a bad house called Slytherin, which I mean, it just works with the name, snake-like. <laughs> and then Gryffindor is the one that's brave and it's represented by a lion. And Harry is all about getting into Gryffindor and he tells this sorting hat that's gonna put him in the house, whether it's this one, this one, or this one, he's having an argument with it. He's like, I do not want to be in Slytherin. And the hat is saying, but you've got skills. And you could be great. I do not want to be in Slytherin. Do not put me there. And so you go through the story, even into the second book, 
And he struggles with the fact that the sorting hat was kind of wanting to put him in that, that house. And he ends up asking his headmaster, I, I've been troubled because this hat suggested that I go to the bad guy's side and I don't, I didn't want to be in it. And he said, so you would have been great in that house. What kept you from going where the hat told you to go? And he said, well, I, I, I chose to be in Gryffindor. I asked it to put me there. And Dumbledore says, exactly. You are defined by your choices. Mm. And that spoke so powerfully. And I have used that example with my children. What you do, what you choose to do. It's not the fleeting thoughts that you have. It's not uh, the maybes, the what ifs. It's your choices that define you. The 12 disciples chose to follow Jesus. One of them chose to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. One of them also chose to deny him and came back and received forgiveness. Mm. But there was a choice being made there. Uh, it wasn't like magic fairy dust came down from heaven and they floated to be with Jesus. They chose to give up all that they knew for three years of life and then passed that after Jesus' resurrection to live, most of them, a martyr's existence. They Most of them martyred for him. Um, and I, I heard this quote the other day shared and wrote it down. When you are born, you look like your parents. But when you die, you look like the decisions you've made. Mm. You look like your choices. So in the story of Harry Potter, here is this guy who could get everywhere powerful and succeed very well in this house, this Slytherin house. But he chooses, I don't want to go down that path just because I may have some of the, the skill sets, some of the giftings, the prerequisites, if you will, for that house. I choose to live a life of bravery and courage. And what I see over here in these other people, that's where I want to be. Yeah. And those are the things, those are the moments that define you, not your boss letting you go, not that, that horrible situation of betrayal. Do not let things like that define you. Choose joy, choose what God tells us to do, to, to think on whatsoever is pure, whatsoever things are holy. How do you do that? It, yeah, it is a choice. But what's really cool is that I think God, God gets motivated to make that choice of yours so much more louder than the bitterness and unfairness that you felt in your past. It will supersede what has taken place there. It doesn't mean that it still won't be hurt, but the healing process has begun because you've chosen for, you've chosen to go to the hospital. Sure, sure. Well, I think it's, it, it just proves that every day is important, that, um, that being intentional with everyday decisions and when the big ones come up and, and when the little choices of today that could start to lead me down a, a bad road, those, those matter too. And I think um, it was a pastor talking about why do I struggle here or there, like in certain sins? And uh, wh why do I have a, a, you know, a predisposition to sin this way? Uh, we all have that, we all have that annoying habit of, of something. And um, often it's because uh, I think it starts with, with our desires. Mm -hmm. There's a specific verse of, oh, I can't remember where it is, but it, it, it's not, you know, 
a lot of people say the devil made me do it. Well, <laughs> certainly the temptation is from him and I'll get to that in a second, but the, it starts with our desires. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are sinful. We, if, if Satan was locked up or, and whenever that's going to happen for a thousand years, I can, I'm so uh, blurry on revelation, but we're still sinful yeah. and we, we are. And, and so it starts there. But when I give into a temptation, well, clearly like uh, Satan knows what to tempt me with. Mm -hmm. Like if, if I've said no to punching dogs in the face. Okay. And I've said that, no, my whole life. <laughs> I just want you to know that. Well, he's not going to tempt me to do that when right over here, here's this, a juicy sin that Carter loves. I'm going to tempt him with that. Yeah. I love I, Gary Sheffield was a, a major league baseball player. And you know, the, the stereotype of a uh, pro athlete and on the road affairs, drugs, like, you know, anything and everything with, especially like right in that 70s, 80s, 90s spot um, where it, there was no internet. You could just get away with whatever you, whatever you wanted as a pro athlete. And he said, um, if the devil doesn't get you with drugs, he'll get you with sex. Mm. And he, he was uh, starting to talk about his uh, testimony really mm -hmm. about uh, his um, addiction to everything, uh, yeah. women, pornography, I mean, all of it. And, and it, it just, it kind of struck me. It's like, yeah, it, we're all a little different in how we sin. Mm -hmm. And it comes down to those little choices that I make before it gets to the big ones. You know, what else is interesting is that Judas was tempted, but it was like in the guise of, of, um, which it was a mask of righteousness like Satan came along wearing a mask of righteousness mm. to tempt him. Uh, and and I heard a message the other day, uh, Jonathan Evans, Dr. Tony Evans' son was just incredible. Uh, speaking of sports, he was in football. Oh yeah, he played, that's right. He played, but um, he was sharing just a few verses and it was about Judas. And it's interesting what led to this choice because even at, like the very beginning, it was foreshadowed and one of you is the devil. Jesus said that in the gospel. Mm -hmm. like, so we know that one of these 12 is not going to be your kind of guy. You right, know? right. And Judas was watching these events transpire. What led to him finally, ultimately betraying Jesus? He had envisioned Jesus being the king of kings on a throne, an earthly throne, taking over Rome. It would be perfect. And Judas was going to get a piece of that. He was going to get some of that action. And so were the, the rest of his, his buddies. For crying out loud, we've been hanging around Jesus for three years, doing the best. When is he going to, when is he going to shine here? And I think slowly but surely, and he keeps hearing Jesus saying things like, um, one day I will not be with you anymore. You know, he keeps hearing him say things like when, when the woman broke the very expensive perfume, the bottle um, of perfume would have been a year's worth of wages. I mean, what a waste is what Judas is thinking. She breaks it over the feet of Jesus, pours it and wipes his feet with her hair. And Jesus uses the words, she is preparing me for burial. And Judas, he must be sitting there because first of all, he is not, just because he is next to Jesus, he's within proximity to Jesus, does not mean he has pure motives. Somewhere along the line in those three years, he started, I think, eager, excited, sincere, authentic. But then he slowly starts seeing as this ministry unfolds, wait, where's the money in this? Mm. 
Jonathan Evans says, he's looking for silver, silver, not a savior. Hmm. He's looking for, well, this isn't what I thought it'd be. And so after this happens with the, the perfume, it says then in scripture, it says then Judas went and sought out the people in the temple. He went to Caiaphas, he went to the elder. He was like, come on, how much would you give me for him? And he sold out his teacher for the same amount that you would pay a person if a slave died uh, by your hand accidentally. Like if a, specifically in the Old Testament, it says, if an ox gores your slave, then the person who owns that ox must pay the slave owner 30 pieces of silver. Wow. So that you, you're worth a dead slave to mm. Judas or three or four months worth of wages. And that's what he sold him out for. And when you think about that, Judas had in his mind expectations of what God was going to do, should do, and they weren't met. And I think the, the encouragement of the message as I was listening was, you usually see yourself in the really heroic Bible characters or you know the victor or the victim oh, I was that person that Jesus saved and I'm so grateful that he delivered me from this thing. Have you ever looked at yourself as the Saul, as the villain, as Judas? Because that's really important in order for us to grow. Otherwise, we we are in denial. We get defensive about our temptations. Judas was tempted by the enemy and he took the bait mm. because Jesus did not meet the expectations. What I have to do is say, Jesus, help me to know you ever more so that my expectations are blown out the water. I mean, because he, he should be blowing our minds. I think it's really sobering because that is perfect with not taking the bait. You know, you lose your job. I had these expectations. Jesus, what are you doing? But with what you're describing with Judas, with Jonathan uh, Edwards. Uh, uh, fire and brimstone, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Evans. Yeah. Evans. Yeah, Jonathan Evans. Um, that's America. Mm. That, that's America. That is, I want this Christian bubble. I want to vote Christianity. And I, I think all oh, that's fine. Um, because it's like, yeah, if we, if we can get people in, in Congress and, and vote for pro-life and, you know, important issues, I mean, absolutely. But there are so many in churches and outspoken people, especially on social media, that it just seems like that's all it is. Mm -hmm. It's just Judas looking for Jesus to have an earthly kingdom so he can get in on that. And we just, I don't know. I think it's the and scariest. And proximity to the church, but I don't, yeah. I'm not pure of heart. Yeah. And I, and it, it, that scares me to no end because it makes me think, you know, internally too. Uh, the thing that I've, I've always been afraid about is like the pastor on left behind that spoiler alert got left behind. <laughs> um, how, how would you know? I, th I think there are people in our churches that actively know they don't believe it and just show up because their spouse does or show up because it's good for business. But um, but there are people that I think just don't get it. I think just don't see it. And it's just political or it's just cultural, you know, Bible Belt South, you know, whatever. And you just go and, and it's great people there and fellowship. But um, but that's important to, I mean, I mean, super important of the utmost importance to look inward and go, am I just in it for the 
culture. The silver. The silver, because I know it, because yeah. it's easy. What does your silver look like? What is it? Yeah. And that's sobering to yeah. to even look at yourself and go, what are my intentions? Because I I certainly believe that Jesus is who he said he was. But my, you know, you got to look at like those little choices. I think that's the quote I shared on our show. Um, a per, to be a person of integrity, mm-hmm. your public life must align with your private life. Yeah. So what I'm about, what I'm talking, when I'm talking the talk, am I actually walking the walk when I'm in secret? And that doesn't mean, I'm not saying anything like, you can certainly be a Christian that is going to heaven, but you're struggling with a secret sin, right? Sure. Now, I I think there's, there should be a fight there. There should be proof in our lives that I want to stop this, that I'm ashamed that I repent, but then fall back to it, that I repent, but then I fall back to it. Mm -hmm. But if there's a, I think that's, I think that's even what you said, Evan said, if there is a, a sin in my life that I don't even think about changing that, that is a sign that I really need to look inward. Yeah. I I was watching a documentary, um, about heroin. There's this one particular town, I think West Virginia, they overdose in this city. Um, there's so many people who die. It's just, it was staggering. The statistics, I think 10 times more than any other place. Wow. Yearly, I think that's what they said. But the point being, this judge, she has a gentleman show up in her court and she said, are you being honest with me about your relapse? And he said, I am. She said, prove it. How do I know? He said, the day after I relapsed, I contacted my probation officer. Mm. And she looked at him. She said, I am so glad. I mean, there's accountability there. Yeah, you. Yeah. That's a person who is truly seeking help. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. That's good. And, and Judas, after he got, I mean, he's literally dipping, he's dipping his bread in the bowl with Jesus. And Jesus is telling the 12, Hey, one of you is going to betray me. And all of them are like, is it me? Is it me? Is it me, Lord? And they all, all calling him Lord. And then when it comes to Judas, Jesus says it's the one dipping his bread in the bowl. And I mean, how doesn't everybody just look? Yeah. It's like they still didn't quite get it. What is he talking about? But Judas looks at him as his hip. I'm assuming his bread is still in his fingers and he's dipping it in the bowl with Jesus. He's like, oh, is it me, rabbi? I never noticed that before until I heard this message from from, uh, Jonathan. And the fact that all the other disciples had said, Lord, Mm. but specifically he had said teacher. He still revered him as teacher. And even after he got caught, he still had a chance to choose and he chose to betray. Yeah. He chose to betray. That's interesting. Yeah. So the question of whether we're saved or not, you know, was Judas ever really saved? Was he in it because he loved Jesus? It sounds like he wasn't. Yeah. And Peter thought he loved Jesus and he denied him three times. But as we've gone over in a podcast several, I don't know, months ago, there's this huge um, thing that you shared about the Greek translation of what Jesus was asking him after he rose from the dead. Peter, do you love me? He was saying, do you love me? Are you all in? And Peter was like, no, you know that I didn't meet that quota. Mm -hmm. I certainly like you, Lord, but I, I screwed up. And then he asks him the third time is when Jesus finally says, but Peter, do you, do you like me then? 
because I can meet you here. Mm-hmm. So you see the desire to follow after Jesus, just like that kid who was, got trapped in his heroin addiction again. He came back. He's like, I'm not there yet, but I want you to know I want to be held accountable. I call my parole officer. I, I think there's such merit in, and, and maybe it's just proof that I am a new creation in Christ with still a fleshly desire. There's a new us when we have a relationship with Jesus, but there's still the old us mm-hmm. and they're, they're fighting. I'm going to read something that I hope is relieving from okay. the apostle Paul in just a second. But I think there's just merit or again, maybe it's even just proof that you're fighting the fight. If you're not fighting the fight, that's when I would question of what is this whole been, thing been about? If you're apathetic. If you're totally apathetic and like, yeah, I know I, Dot, dot, dot. Look um, at pornography. Planning you know, on leaving whatever. the church today after the service is over and going out and doing the very thing. Yeah. If there's no tug on your heart, then that that's one of those red flags. You should go, I don't know that I'm, that I've actually asked the Lord into my life and meant it. But as somebody who grew up at Baptist <laughs> and, and there's an invitation every week, and I really, I do like that, um, that it makes me freak out when I do struggle with sin well, what are my intentions? Am I even really saved? And then you can start to a little bit like we what talked if, what about. If, yeah. yeah. And and here's what a Paul, Apostle Paul said in uh, Romans 7. So the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. There's those desires, right? For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Mm. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is sin living within me. Now, he's not saying, oops, devil made me do it. Oh, well, what he's saying is there's two desires and one is Jesus and one is me. Mm-hmm. And there is there will be that battle for the rest of our lives mm-hmm. of temptation and falling into sin. But clearly he's seeing this struggle. He's seeing what he hates. He's not saying, oh, Jesus, yeah, and then I'm gonna live however I want. I, I wrote this down from the message that I was hearing. You can't grow unless you see yourself clearly. Defensive people are only in denial about their true desires. Sometimes when you brush those desires, it's like, no, 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 I'm not gonna think about that. Sometimes unless you put the mirror directly in front of your face and, and, and own it, you struggle with blank, whatever mm-hmm. it is. How in the world are you supposed to prune those hedges? How are you supposed to cut those parts out if you don't even acknowledge that they exist? Sure. So we're all guilty. All have sinned and fall short, Romans 3, I think, and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. So should we feel shame? To some degree, yeah, I think shame is a good thing because we need to acknowledge that we're sinners, but grace is a gift that we can accept. We didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, but Jesus died for us so that we could receive eternal life. Mm -hmm. And so now we're moving into a place of, yes, you may still struggle, and it is frustrating with the struggle, whatever that struggle may look like. But if you are struggling, 
I think that that's probably a really good indicator that you don't want that temptation to be acted out in your life. You're struggling with it. That means I don't want it. Yeah. And I think that that's the, the two parts of you. Like you said, your flesh is saying you want it, but the Holy Spirit inside your life that is is having you stay accountable, call in the parole officer, whoever that is in your life. Hey man, I'm struggling again today. I really, I don't want to do this. Having that accountability person, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a buddy, um, that's so important it, it, because sometimes we hide that stuff in our lives because we're ashamed to the point where it might even take over. We haven't, we got to get it out there. Otherwise, how, again, you can't grow unless you see yourself clearly. I love how Paul starts to wrap it up. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hmm. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Always fun to get these, have the, these conversations. Um, is there anything that uh, you else you wanted to share after you uh, embarrassed yourself earlier? What are you talking about? Can you do something funny at the beginning of this? I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) When I said five star. Oh, after you leave your five star. That's what it is. That's what it is. (laughs) 